Paul in uh, the book of Corinthians talks about being, if he's in his right mind, he's, it's for the Lord, and if he's out of his mind, it's for the Lord. And so let's just agree with Paul that that's why I'm wearing tights under these jeans uh, this morning. So if that'll help, that'll, that'll help me. Um, but I'm not sure how many of you have ever had the problem that I do with people retelling stories and totally getting it wrong. Like, I don't know, like, I, one of my pet peeves is when people tell incorrect stories, and I was there, and I'm sitting with them, and they're going like, well, it was when we, um, and they, they fumble over it, I'm like, just get to the point, get to the story. And then the other, the other thing of my pet peeves is when somebody is trying to tell a joke, and they ruin it by the way they tell it. Like, you're just sitting there, and me being someone who likes to be center of attention, I will just admit that, um, when somebody butchers a joke, it kills me. I'm like sitting on my hands, and they're like tr- trying to tell the joke, and I don't know if you have friends who are like this, or if you're like this, and if you are, I'm very sorry, but telling a joke is an art, and when somebody gets it wrong, it just makes me so angry. I'm like, just let me tell the joke. Okay, forget what everything they just said, and then when I tell it, it's not funny, because it's already been butchered so far beyond what it was worth. But it's interesting, when I read the book of 1 John, it's almost as if I sense that kind of an attitude coming from John, but in a very different way. 1 John is written to the church at a time when when he is the last living apostle, he's the oldest person in the faith. Uh, Peter and Paul have been dead for nearly 30 years, and and John has sat by and he's watched these false worldly philosophies sneak their way into the church. And it's not like he was, you know, they're standing on the pulpit saying all these false things, but it was affecting the minds of the believers that are sitting in this very room or sitting in the rooms where they would meet and gather together. And there were false ideas that were coming in. You had people denying that Jesus even came in the flesh. You had people saying that he was just a, a phantom and he never really existed. And you had people saying, well, you know what, because Jesus came and I've got a knowledge of him, I can do whatever I want to with my body because my body's just evil. It's my spirit that's made right. And so I can do whatever I want and then there were some that were even saying that once you had the knowledge of Jesus, that sin was, was removed from you, like, like a tumor was removed if you had cancer, like it would be removed, and so you would never struggle with sin again. You would never sin again once you had this knowledge of Jesus. And so you can imagine confusion was rising, and people were talking and arguing and, and, ba- and battling out each other and saying, you know, this is, this is what I think, this is what I think, this is what I think, and I think John basically just goes, enough. I sat with the man, I ate with him, I walked with him. I talked with him. I was one of the closest to him. And I need to reassure you. And so when I look at the book of 1 John, it's almost as if he's writing it to two groups of people. When I see it, it's it's like he's writing to those who are assuming that they belong to God, but their outward actions reflect none of it. And then he's writing to people that are also assured. They are saved, but they're doubting because of all the confusion that they're seeing. But I want you to notice, if you, read, if you read the book of 1 John, and you also read the book of John, it's almost, you see, John has matured a lot. In the book of John, when people didn't get it, he was the one that asked Jesus, hey, can we call down fire on these people? Because they just don't get it. Can we torch them? And Jesus is like, look, you seriously are how long have you been with me and you still don't get it? But in the book of 1 John, it's almost as if he's gotten a little wiser, a little more mature, a little more patient. And in his dealing with these people, he, he often starts his phrases with little children, dear children. It's almost as if he deals with them as a family, as a father or a grandfather. And my heart is this morning is to deal the same way with you all. 
This is something that has hit, has hit close to my home. Um, my wife, and I wish she was here to tell you the story, but she just gave birth to our second son on Friday morning. And so 8808, Jude was born. So uh, that's a very cool thing. Um, but we are, we, I wish she was here to share the story with you. And so I'm going to attempt to, to share the, and at the time, I will have to tell you, I was a very angry husband at what, what was going on. Um, we were at a, one of those revival meetings and a speaker came in and I tell you what, I, when we walked in there, I just wasn't sure what was going to happen. And, uh, as he got up there and started sharing, all he did was talk about fear and scare tactics. And he talked about pastors who thought they were Christians and they were dying and going to hell. How he even knew, I did not know. And he was just, it's like he was making all of these things up, but it was all directed at people who had any fear or any doubt that they knew Christ. And my wife was one, at the end of the night, she was so worked up and so anxious, she just sat there and just dealed with it silently. And when we got home, it was as if Satan had just gotten a hold of her brain and just held on and would not let go. Like as I watched what was going on, my wife experienced anxiety to the point of throwing up in the mornings. And she would be totally fine with me sharing this with you now. It's been a several years journey. It's still not over. And we will, hopefully we'll have the website up to where you can hear her testimony sharing it because I believe it has something to do with most of the church today and the way that she's able to articulate it and share it. But I watched her suffer and doubt her salvation and doubt her assurance over and over and over. It didn't matter how much I prayed for her. It didn't, know, it didn't matter how much I shared scripture with her. It did not matter how much I could tell her. When I look at you, Doreen, I see the fruit of someone who knows Jesus. And my wife, in her testimony, she says a key phrase that I believe is so crucial to what, it just hits at the heart of 1 John. She says in her story, I chose to believe the words of this man over the truth of Scripture. Scripture affirmed me that I was a follower of Christ. This man did not. And during this year, year and a half, and this journey that we walked through, she went on anxiety medicine, she goes to get in her right mind, she felt like she was going crazy. And as an angry husband, all I wanted to do was go find this guy's house, kick his door down, and go lay hands on him, Old Testament style. <laughs> now, when I, mean, when, I, when I say lay hands on, I don't mean pray for, just for some of you that might be... Um, or maybe even call down thunder or fire from heaven, just as John did. But I'm much more mature now. <laughs> kind of. But in that journey that we walked together, I was, I, was, I was baffled. Because I didn't understand what was going on. And she would try and articulate. And, and I would try and affirm her. And scripture. And we prayed. And we did all of these things. And it was very interesting that as my wife began to become more bold with her journey and the fact that she had been, you know, when she was four years old, she gave her life to Christ and has followed him ever since. Amazingly, I've watched her choose Jesus. And she still struggled with that, that question of, is God really good? Does he really love me? Is he really, at the end of my life, is he going to accept me? Or is it all a big joke? And when I die, it's going to be God said, well, you didn't get this right, so you're, it's, it's over. These were the questions that tormented her at night. And I don't know how many of you maybe could relate, but it was very interesting as Doreen felt freedom to begin sharing her story. As she began feeling freedom to speak the truth that she had been one that struggled with all these things because at church we're really good at not letting on to that we're struggling. 
We are so good at that. And she was afraid, what would people think that the youth pastor's wife doubted her salvation? And I was like, you know what? I I would rather her share that story with people because we saw God begin to do something amazing. We saw God begin to open doors with people that were coming out into the light going, me too. I've struggled with this and I have felt inadequate. I have felt like a failure. I have have felt like I'm not a real good Christian because I have struggled with doubt and fear and it scares me. It was absolutely amazing to watch people just come and flock to her, adults, students, sharing that they were struggling with the very same thing. And it began to ring true. I read a statistic a long time ago. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusader Christ, said that it is estimated in their studies that over half of all churchgoers doubt their eternal assurance. Half of all churchgoers doubt their eternal assurance, that something is going to be off or wrong, and in that day of judgment, when they meet the Lord, he's going to be like, ah, that wasn't enough. And this morning, what I want to do is I'm not going to look at all of the wise people doubt their salvation or their assurance. I don't want to deal with that because Satan uses so many different things for so many different people. But what I do want to go back to is our assurance. This morning, I hope to be able to speak tenderly as John did and and be able to encourage you with the word of God. And my hope is that if you're in here assuming that those assumptions, if they're wrong, will be put to death and you will be able to grab onto the assurance of Jesus Christ. And if you're in this room and you're, you're one who has been struggling with doubt and you question all of your motives and you question all this different stuff, that you will be able to see the scripture and know that he is your assurance. My heart this morning is basically what Paul spoke in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? 1 Corinthians 13, 5 was written to the church, and as the church is struggling, and he's going, let's do something. Let's do some self-examination here. Self-examination is painful. So if I ask you to consider what Paul spoke and examine yourselves, and when you see the light of Scripture... To be honest with yourself, that's difficult. I understand that. Because when the word of God points out something that's not on target with me, it's like, ouch. But it is so worth the ouch when that result of of God's word being planted deeper and deeper and deeper in your heart. What I do wish we had more of is I wish we did have more self-examination going on. And instead of using Oprah as our standard or some other self-help book as our standard, we would lay ourselves bare to the word of God. We would basically lay ourselves on the word of God and say, search my heart, search me. There's maybe some of you in here need to stop listening to those words of those self-help books and Oprah and all those other talk shows that are supposed to tell you how to be better people and feel more good about yourself Maybe if we went to the word of God and just allowed it to be what it is, living and active. And I know for me, I told Doreen this one time and and I shared with her about it. 
is it would make things so much easier. And I've had this discussion with God. I, I said, God, come on, just give me a peek into that Lamb's Book of Life that you got. Just let me see my name written down. Come on, just give me a peek. I mean, because if I saw my name in that book, you tell me, I mean, woo, woo, eternal life, Jason, woo, we got it, we're in the book. But you and I both know that's not going to happen. But he has given us his word. He's given us his promise. He's given us his truth. And all of those things were fulfilled in his son. And I know for some of us, it's really hard to take somebody at their word. It's really hard for us to take somebody for their promise because we're so used to them being broken and broken down. But I'm convinced when we get to the heart of Scripture, and if the heart, the heart of Scripture is the cross of Christ, that is where all Scripture points. When we get to that point and we get a correct view of who Jesus is and what exactly he did, and we get a correct view of the character of God, things begin to change. John 20, 30 through 31 says this. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. I don't think we ask the wrong, we ask, we ask the wrong questions most of the time. And the wrong question is, am I doing enough? I think the right question is, do I have an accurate view of Jesus? When we're dealing with our assurance and we're struggling with the doubt and the fear that's coming that the lies of the enemy throw at us, I mean, he is constantly throwing lies. The world is aggressively pursuing every one of you with the lies of do more, do more, do more. And what Jesus has encountered is he said, follow me. And so I don't think the question to ask yourself about assurance is, am I doing enough? Because can I tell you the truth? You will never do enough. Can I just put that out there? But the question I believe we need to begin asking ourselves is, do I have an accurate view of who Jesus is? And where is that view found? Grounded in scripture. Because the word of God was given to us so that we might hear and have faith hearing the good news about Christ Jesus. And uh, in Hebrews 10.21 has been one of these verses that I just can continue to sit in. Hebrews is really that book. It can be, some, it can be confusing at points, but it's really on assurance. When I, when I see what it is and that assurance that we have as Christ followers, it says this, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now hear this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our confession, Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. And our eyes stay fixed on him and our eyes stay planted on the cross of Christ. Why is Highland so about Jesus? Because there is nothing else. 
He is the one who paid the price. When we remember him for communion on Sundays, when we remember him for the Lord's Supper, we remember that in and of ourselves, we cannot accomplish anything. But through him, the gift of life is given to us, not just eternal life, but real life for here and now. It's very interesting because in this whole self-examination process, I got a little worked up. Because I was like, I'm not doing enough. I don't think I'm loving my neighbors the way I'm supposed to. I don't think I'm doing it. I, I, I mean, I, and I just was like, whoa, 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 Jason. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because I do believe that you and I, even in Paul's words of doing that self-examination, we can get a little carried away. And we can begin to put our eyes on our works and go, am I doing enough? Am I? And I do believe there is room for, for spiritual examination, but I also believe that there's this process when you see and recognize the sin and the Lord has been kind to us and pointed out our sin and we repent and we have been encouraged by the word of God. What next? It's keep your eyes on the cross. That self-examination is a very difficult thing and it is very confusing at some points because you begin to focus on that. And again, is putting our eyes back on the cross of Christ. Um, In the book of 1 John, I just want you to hear some of these words that that John uses. He uses the word know, K-N-O-W, over 40 times. That you will know, that you may know, that we can know, that we know. He uses it over 40 times. And this is a very tiny book in comparison to a lot of the other ones. Some say the idea of 1 John is that we may know. And so in 1 John chapter 2, you'll see these on the screen. And you can just read along. And, and that, let that self-examination begin. Because I believe when you allow the word of God to open and just let it hit you for what it really is, living and active, it's the breath of life, that is where that transformation can begin. 1 John chapter 2. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. 1 John 2, 25 says, This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 1 John two twenty eight. Now little children... Abide or stay put in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. And 1 John chapter 5 says this, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Jesus' own words. You know, I think there are a lot of people out there who have this thought on God that we're supposed to be in this eternal guessing game that in the end, it's kind of going to be up to him whether or not we did enough or did this and all this. And it's going to be a guessing game. And he's going to pick some and he's not going to pick the rest. And, and some of us are going to do enough and some of us are not going to do And we have, a, there are a lot of people that live with that view on who God is. But as I read the scriptures, I see a God who is very contrary to that, who says, you can know. Jesus himself spoke those words. You can know assurance. 
In John chapter 5, he says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. John 6, 29 says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. John 8, 51, I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. But this walk of faith is a very difficult one. That's why it's likened to a fight. Paul doesn't use very wimpy words when it comes to the Christian faith. I believe that the world is aggressively pursuing you and I with false ideas, false teachings, false whatever, and they're spending a lot of money on it, and they're very aggressive with it. I believe that you and I must be just as aggressive in keeping our eyes fixed on the cross. Whatever that means, whatever, whatever stretch, whatever, me, whatever it takes to keep your eyes centered on the cross of Christ, because he is our assurance. And when the world comes at you and says, well, you're not doing this. Or when the enemy gets a thought in there somehow and says, well, you know what? I know what your past is like. There ain't no way a a God is going to have anything to do with you, especially one that sent his son to die. You are not worth dying for. When the enemy comes at you with those lies, you run, you sprint to the truth of God's word. And you hear words like Romans 8, 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the living, life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 1 John three eighteen says this. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident... When we stand before God, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. It's a very difficult battle, your feelings and the truth, is it not? What I feel is a little different than what I know. What I feel right now is that I am a failure, but what I know, according to God's word, is that I'm more than a conqueror. I have been rescued, redeemed, the price has been paid, but I still feel this way. I can't stand when I hear people say, just follow your feelings. My feelings are ridiculous. (laughs) They're all over the place at all times. That is why it's a battle for me to get back to the cross of Christ. It's why it's still a battle for my wife to get back to the cross of Christ. It is a battle to keep your eyes fixed on the cross. But I think we see it as this little cakewalk. And that's what the enemy loves. He loves Christians who think this life is just an easy coast. But it's not. And according to Paul's words, it's a fight. And this morning... It was very interesting. I was in the hospital and um, just sitting for breakfast this morning as, as we we'll hopefully get to go home today. It was very interesting because I was reading this story of this lady 
who was in a cult that was very works-oriented. You've got to do enough to gain your assurance that you might even get a chance to be looked at by God. She was very, to the point, she was so stressed and so anxious about whether or not she could ever do enough that she was suicidal. And God's timing was perfect in this woman's life as he introduced to her somebody who just happened to have the Gospel of Luke, one of those little, little books. And they said, you know, just read this. Just read the Gospel of Luke. Didn't bash her with anything, didn't question her, didn't just, just said, read this. And this woman all the time knowing that she was suicidal based on the fact that she could not do enough in her mind to gain assurance. So she read the Gospel of Luke, and she says in the story that as she got farther into the Gospel of Luke towards the last chapters, she said something broke her when she saw Jesus on the cross look over at the thief and say, yeah, I'll remember you in paradise. And then he shouted out the words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. She said something at that moment broke. She said that seeing Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for her sin gave her an assurance that no list of deeds that she could make could ever do. Her fixing her eyes on the cross gave her an assurance unlike anything she had ever seen before because he is our assurance. She later got to share that story. But as I was, as I was, I was like, God, your, your timing is perfect because that is where I feel like I need to be. That, that, that looking at, at, at your cross and I can't make a list of my deeds. Because if I got worked up about doing, 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 who knows where I'd end up. That's why I believe it is a fight for you and I to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, who with everything set before him took the cross, chose it, because he knew you and I were incapable of bringing ourselves into a right relationship with him. It is a constant battle, folks. It is a constant battle. Your feelings, God is greater than your feelings. Fixing our eyes on the cross and keeping them there. An aggressive fixing your eyes on the cross. Like I almost see it as one of those things where you are clawing your way up a mountain. You have no rope, no nothing, and you are clawing because it is aggressive. It's painful because you're tearing yourself away from lies and pursuing the truth. First John, written so that you may know. Self-examination is great. I believe that it's, it's, it's healthy for us to spiritually look and go, what evidence is there? But when you've recognized what's not there or what should be there and that you don't have it there and you recognize that the cross is huge and that Jesus' blood covers you and you've repented and you, you're walking in God's word, keep your eyes fixed there. Don't look back. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. Because the world's waiting for you to do that. He's not looking at the cross. Get him. Jesus is our assurance. Let us hold fast to our confession 
Jesus is Lord. In a few moments, you're going to see people standing around this room with plates of cracker bread and and some juice. And as Christ followers, what we are doing in this time is we are remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. What we are doing is we are saying, Lord, I have turned to you for the forgiveness of my sin. When you take that cracker bread and you dip it in the juice and then you take it, you are telling the world, I am proclaiming Christ's death until he returns again. And I have trusted him with my life because he is our assurance. Why does Highland talk about the cross so much? Because he's it. Why would a Christ follower tell somebody else about their beliefs? Why don't they just keep it to themselves? Because he's it. Not in an arrogant, boastful way, but a humbled, thanking God that he gave us his son attitude. That is why we remember Jesus every Sunday. That is why we do the skits, the multimedia, the songs, everything. It's Jesus glorifying. Because he is our assurance. If you are holding fast to our confession, Jesus is Lord. He is your assurance. And this morning, we'd like to break bread with you. Parents, this is a great opportunity for you to teach your children Share with them the truth of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Share with them that they are loved by God so much so that he gave his son so that we might have life. And when, if you are a visitor here and if you're like, I'm not sure about this whole faith in Christ thing, you are more than welcome to just observe. You are more than welcome to see what is going on. But this is what we are doing. When we take this bread and we dip it in the cup, we are remembering the Lord's sacrifice for us on the cross. And we're sharing with the world that he has forgiven us of our sin. And so when you are ready and your heart is ready and during the song, please feel free to take and eat. Father, we thank you for this morning. And you are our assurance. Father, I pray for those in this room right now that may may be struggling with that doubt and that fear, Lord, and that you would come to their rescue. Lord, and that this would give them the breathing room that they need to know that, yes, they are your child, or maybe they've been putting their eyes on something else, and that they need to return to their first love, as John so well puts in Revelation. Return to your first love in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be honored by this this time of remembering you with the bread and the juice of your body given over for us. In your name we pray. Amen.